Ah, you can have a seat. Let's pray together uh, while you're being seated. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for the day. Uh, we want to thank you for Jesus uh, and his example. And as we're just kind of talking uh, through uh, metaphors of the church in the New Testament, uh, we want to pray that uh, we would be the church uh, that you created us to be. When you came up uh, with this idea of church, that, that Northwest Christian, we, we'd be the kind of church you have in mind. Uh, we thank you uh, for your grace when we fall short, and we do, but it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. To start out today, I, I want to say something kind of obvious, but you probably don't know any shepherds, I I I'm going to guess. It's not uh, a line of work that is really uh, uh, all over the United States, but in other parts of the world, uh, shepherding is still kind of a big deal. Uh, if you travel uh, internationally, you may have run across some shepherds in your international uh, travel. There was actually a story that uh, made really, really big news uh, probably a couple years ago. I, I think it was right during the pandemic, but it happened in Turkey uh, where a couple uh, shepherds went off to have their lunch. And um, one of the leaders of the sheep, you know, the, this kind of head sheep honcho, whatever you call them, right? Um, he decided to kind of walk to the edge of the cliff. And one by one, the sheep started following him. And for whatever reason, they have no idea what, but sheep number one just jumped off that cliff to his death. And one by one, sheep after sheep after sheep just jumped off the cliff right after him. Uh, the first uh, 400 of those sheep uh, died. Uh, the next 1,200 landed in a billowy bed of sheep-ness, uh, and they survived. All right, so um, yay for that. All right, so... Um, <laughs> The loss to the local farmers was $74,000 for those 400 sheep. And just they have no idea what happened, but they're off having their lunch and they're watching sheep number one go to the edge of that cliff and thinking, I think I can make it. I think I can survive this. And he jumps and the next sheep's like, me too, I think I can. And you hear a story like that and you're like, all right, so what, what is the deal? And here's the question you might be asking, or maybe this is just kind of my brain, but are sheep dumb? Right? I mean, are, are they dumb uh, animals? And I don't know how they figured this stuff out, but scientifically they know that they're really not dumb. Um, I, you know, I don't know if they you know, took them through an IQ test or what, you know, but they, they, know, they know sheep aren't dumb. But what sheep do have is a very strong following instinct. Right? A very strong following instinct. And human beings are the same way, in a way. Uh, we're, we're not dumb uh, at, at all as human beings. God created us with intellect and wisdom, and, uh, and he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. So human beings aren't dumb. But like sheep, we too, just as human beings, we are created with a strong following instinct. And, and this is why I think one of the metaphors for the church in, in the New Testament is that we're sheep, right? It's not meant to be insulting. It's not meant to be rude. It's meant to say that you were created. All of us were. Even leaders are, are created in this way. We are all created to follow someone. And it's, important, it's a, an important thing to consider every now and then. Like, who are you following? Here's what Jesus said one time. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. 
He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And then when he has brought them out on his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this as a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them, so he continues. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he goes on with the metaphor, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the sheep, uh, the, the flock, and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep knows me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I may bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So we want to start out with this truth uh, before we go on into anything, it is that Jesus is our good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he offers two reasons why he is such a good shepherd. Reason number one that he offers us is he knows the sheep. Right? He knows them completely. He, he knows them well. The scriptures talk about knowing that the hairs on our head and how they are numbered. He knows the sheep. Parents, this is why in a lot of ways, as you're kind of parenting your kids, you're in a really great position to kind of under-shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. You're in a great position to kind of under-shepherd your kids because you know them. Right? You know what discipline works for them. You know what rewards work for them. You know them. You multiply that by a million, and this is Jesus. He knows us. He knows us on a specific level, to be certain, but he also knows us on a human level. When we think about Jesus, a lot of times we think about Jesus in terms of uh, that he was fully God, and he was, but sometimes we forget that Jesus was also fully human. Here's what that means. He knows what it means to be the best human possible. He knows what being a human looks like, the way he loved people, the way he served people, the way he lived a life of joy, he is leading his sheep to life because he knows where life is found. And so he is in a unique position to be the good shepherd. But he gives a second reason. He lays down his life for the sheep. That's the other thing that makes him the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And I think sometimes people wonder, you know, does God love me? You might have this conversation with your friends sometimes, with somebody that is just kind of starting out in faith. Does God even love me, and here's what I would say. I don't know how much more evidence we need outside of the cross, right? Jesus left heaven, and he came to earth, and he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross to pay for sins he didn't commit. In all humility, what more does a person need to do to demonstrate their love for you, to prove their love for you? 
This is way beyond a romantic gesture, holding the boombox on your shoulder and playing some romantic song, right? This is genuine, self-sacrificing love. And it's what Jesus did. Here's the other thing we learn in this text. Who you are following matters greatly. All right? We don't often think about this, but we're all following someone. And first, we want to make sure that we're following Jesus. He's the good shepherd. But beyond that, we want to make sure in this life, even beyond Jesus, we are following people that set good examples, and we are following the right people. I think what Jesus did is an incredible thing. He knew uh, that he was ascending to heaven, and when he ascended to heaven, he promises to send us the Holy Spirit, uh, which he does. He sends us the Holy Spirit. He establishes the church. And then one of his directives to the church is choose good leaders. All right? This is said again and again throughout the New Testament. As you're kind of establishing the church, he said, you're, going to want, you're following me, obviously. I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says. But find good leaders to lead. Because they're going to be like, we'll see this in a minute, they're going to be like my under-shepherds. I'm the good shepherd. They're going to be like my under-shepherds, kind of guiding and directing the flock. Now, we started this day, what today is, probably like 10 years ago. And this just kind of came out of, a, of, out of an elders meeting one time. And one of our elders just said, you know what? I think we ought to like preach on eldership and leadership at least once every single year. And to be kind of honest with you, I kind of resisted it for a minute. Because I was like, you know, you've got Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day. I don't know if I have a special Sunday left in me, right? We got so many special Sundays. And I, I kind of resist it, but he was like, no, I really think we ought to do this. And so we started doing this like 10 years ago. Well, we, we haven't done it uh, two years during COVID, but we started like 10 years ago. And I'm telling you, this has made a significant difference in the life of our church. Just to pause on a Sunday, today's the perfect day to do it because uh, we're talking and we're in this series about the church to kind of talk about in our local church context, uh, what we call kind of our leadership. We have staff uh, and then uh, the, the people leading our church, we call them elders and to just pause for a minute and to talk about eldership and to talk about leadership and, and to talk about how we choose that because that's the process we're going to enter into today. So if you have your bulletins, Inside your bulletin is a, a two-page sheet that looks like this. If you don't have one, that's okay. Uh, you can grab one of these on your way out. This is the worksheet that we give you each year as we're kind of talking about leadership and we're talking about eldership. And as you read the scriptures on these pages, what you're going to figure out is that there are three kind of dominant images or phrases that describe what a leader in the church should be like, all right? There's kind of three dominant Im images. And the first one, for what we've been talking about, the first one is actually shepherd or pastor. And again, like I said earlier, we don't really understand this in our culture because we don't really have shepherds anymore. But being uh, a shepherd back in the first century especially, it was not like a nine-to-five job. Right? You did not grab your work card and be like, all right, I'm going to start shepherding at 9, and I'm going to end shepherding at 5, and I'm going to get one-hour lunch break, a 401k, and lots of time off. Right? It wasn't like that at all. Being a shepherd was a lifestyle. Here's how Lynn Anderson says it. He says on the screen for you, shepherds led their sheep to pasture during the day and protected them at night. The sheep knew the shepherd's touch. They recognized his voice. They followed no other shepherd. There was a genuine relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. As a matter of fact, shepherds 
would um, follow, would, would live so closely with their sheep that this kind of phrasing got associated with shepherds over time. And people would run into a shepherd and be like, that dude right there, he smells like sheep. He smells like sheep. And it sounds like a cut down, right? It's like that dude, woo, woo, you know, he smells like, no, it wasn't a, a cut down at, at all. They actually wore it as a badge of honor. Cause like, I've been so close to my sheep. I've been guiding them and feeding them and serving them and protecting them. I have lived so closely to my sheep that I actually smell like my sheep. And that's more the type of job that it was. It wasn't punch in, punch out for all that stuff. It wasn't like that. This was a lifestyle type of job. And this is the goal and picture of eldership to a degree. It is a group of guys that live very closely to the congregation. And they are in relationship with us as the sheep. It's not an, uh, an office they hold. Too many churches view it. It's like a, it's like a position of power in a lot of churches. It's not a position they hold. It's a lifestyle they live. So they live within the people. That's one of the first images of eldership is that they're shepherds. They live within the people. Uh, They live within us caring for needs, guiding and directing people spiritually, disciplining when necessary, being a shepherd to the flock. It's an elder that goes to the home of a person uh, before they have surgery and just offers to pray for them. It's the leader that's teaching small group or Sunday school so they can better guide a flock. It's the cards that are sent, the phone calls that are made, the lunches, the breakfast, because a shepherd always lives within the context of the flock. This is why we really believe, our kind of movement of church, we believe in local church leadership. So a lot of kind of denominations, there's like some headquarters somewhere, and people are kind of making decisions for the whole denomination. And at some point, uh, we're from a a group of churches known as the Restoration Movement. At some point, they said, whoa, 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 hold on just for a minute. Leadership ought to be local, right? They ought to be living within the context of their people, because then they know their sheep, they can guide their sheep, they can protect their sheep, they can serve their sheep so much better when, they, when, when leadership comes in at a local level. And so that's the genius of this idea. When Paul says, appoint elders at every church, this is the genius of it. Because Thessalonica and Colossae and Ephesus and Corinth, they all had different needs. And so Paul's like, man, when, when you establish a church, make sure to establish elders for that church who can help guide and direct and shepherd and love the local congregation. And our elders, I am telling you, I want to, love on them for a minute. They have a huge heart for this. I'll tell you, the second Thursday of every month in the evening, we have our elders meeting. And a large part, not in totality, because there are other things elders are called to do, but a large part of that meeting is what are the needs within the body? Who's having a surgery? Who's going through a hard time? Who needs some encouragement? And then we talk about those needs, and then we pray for those needs. There's also a texting stream that happens with our eldership, is that when someone hears about something going on, they can text it to all of the elders and all of the staff and just be, be praying for this person, or this person could use encouragement, so they have a huge heart for it. So that's kind of image number one, is the image of the shepherd. Image number two is the image of elder, all right? So I know we've been talking, that, that's what we call them here, but elder in the Bible, um, it, it, it is talking about uh, the way a person sets 
an example in the local church. So an elder, you might think of an elder, uh, a town elder, you might have an image of your head of, of someone that's typically older, and, and they typically are, although they don't have to be. Everyone's, someone's, you're older than someone, right? So, um, but this eldership idea is used to describe someone who has gotten to an age where they can set an example with their life that you want to follow. So this is the part of an elder's life that's not necessarily the teaching part or the leadership part, but the, this is a person that sets an example. They're eldering well. So an elder is someone that you can look at and say, man, I kind of like a marriage like theirs, someone you've identified in this room. I kind of like a family like theirs. I kind of like a relationship with God like theirs. I kind of want joy like theirs. I, I kind of want faith like theirs. And, and this is the challenge set before the elders all throughout the New Testament. I like how Peter says it. He says to the elder, be an example to the flock. All right, that's what Peter says to the eldership. Be an example to the flock. And an elder is exactly that. It's someone who sets an example. Now, let's get something out of the way here, right? They don't set a perfect example. If you want someone who sets a perfect example, you should be looking to the good shepherd, right? The good shepherd sets the perfect example. The rest of us are human beings, right? So it's not a perfect example. As a matter of fact, one of the things I love in a leader uh, as an example is I love it when leaders demonstrate repentance, don't you? When a, when a leader of an organization or a leader in the church that man, I messed up. I screwed up. I, 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 I really, really, I really, really strayed here. And I'm sorry. When someone does that, it's powerful. When, when someone sets it. So you're not looking for perfect examples because you're going to be looking for a real long time. But you are looking for general examples and maybe even someone that has demonstrated some repentance. And the final picture in, this, in the scriptures that we gave you there uh, of, a, of an elder is an overseer, or sometimes the Bible we use the word bishop. Right? This is the oversight and protective responsibilities of an elder. Part of the responsibility of an elder as an overseer is to make sure that no wolves are coming into the pen. It's their job, right? It's a core part of the job. No wolves make it into the pen. They are protectors. In other words, you say, what exactly do you mean by that? There's no false teaching happening. Part of the job is to make sure that's happening. No false teaching. No divisive attitudes. No one has gotten in that can really hurt the sheep in those ways, right? Now, the other side of this is the protective, uh, from the protective nature of the eldership, is the general oversight of the leadership. So they're protecting, but there's also general oversight where they're like, man, do we have the right people in the positions of leadership to have our church flourish? Uh, is the bus heading in the right direction? So they're like, are we on mission? Are we on vision? Do we have the right people serving? Do we need to recruit more people to serve? This thing next Sunday uh, that we're doing where we're going to present the ministry opportunities to you, this came from an elders meeting where we were like, man, COVID has kind of taken a hit on some of our volunteer roles. We need to just kind of make people aware of some of the opportunities. And one of the elders was like, we should do a lunch. We should do a lunch and we should present opportunities to people at this lunch. Right? That's a great idea. And then now next Sunday's happening. So that's an example of it. It's general oversight, general 
direction. They oversee the entire church, and they have the responsibility to do that. So let's review for a minute. An elder has the responsibility. They're setting an example. They're pastoring and shepherding the flock, and they're overseeing the entirety of the church. That You might have a missions team that is thinking about missions, a CE team that's thinking about Christian education, worship is thinking about worship, eldership as its role kind of thinks about the whole thing. And when you understand their role, I think you can better understand your role. I I think there's a couple ways that this plays out, that it's the way you choose to react and respond to elders within the local church. Um, You know what the scripture says about this? One of the things you can do when you understand an elder's role in the church, one of the things you can do is you can make their work a joy. Right? You can understand that it's important work, it's valuable work, and so one of the things you can do for your eldership is you can make their work a joy. So I've shared this with you before, but one of the things when I'm thinking about my interactions with our eldership, because I'm not an elder, but I serve with them, and just like you guys, you serve with them. Um, one, one of the things I always think about is like, do I pass the caller ID test? Or do I, do I pass the texting test? In other words, when our elders are sitting at home and maybe they're watching TV and they see Steve Higgs come up on their phone, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. What is it now? Enough with the texting. Is it that? <laughs> or is it, you know, I can't wait to have this conversation. Or even if, it's ser- even if it's a serious conversation, I know that it, we're, we're going to come out to the other end of it. And so I try to think through that a, a couple times a year, honestly. Like, am I wearing our guys out, right? Uh, you know, because I want to be an encouraging, helpful presence to them. And, and I don't want their heart to fill with dread when they see my name come up on caller ID. So you can make their work a joy. Uh, one of the ways you can make their work a joy, and I just want to implore this of you, is, is by praying for them. Sometimes we have a tendency, I think, to pray about things when they're really, really gone south or they're really, really bad. You, you hear the news, and, and I'm, I'm going to pray for that. And God loves to hear those prayers. But sometimes the thing you can do is just pray for someone daily. And I think I would ask that of you. If you would pray for our leadership daily, that God would give them wisdom as they're making decisions. That God would bring them encouragement when the role gets tough. Right? That God would bring them joy when they're discouraged. Um, you can make their work a joy by praying for them. You can make their work a joy by following their lead. I brag on you guys all the time. I want you to know that uh, to my pastor friends. Um, and I, I, I brag usually about two things. One is COVID. I saw church after church after church around this nation absolutely torn apart during COVID over mask mandates, over gathering times, over all sorts of stuff. I just watched churches get torn apart. It did not happen here because of you guys. And I am so grateful because I'll get into these meetings and people are like, oh, you know, my people did this or my people did that. And it's kind of going around a table and then it gets to me and every eye's on me. Yeah, tell us your awful story. My people were awesome. I'm sorry. Like, I wish I had more to tell you. My people were really great during COVID. So I brag on you guys about that, uh, and I brag on you about now is the time. That I think we're still, the, the renovating of this building, I think we're still, I think, trying to get you all to understand how miraculous it was what we accomplished for the size of our church. That every square foot of this building nearly has been touched 
and renovated and made better uh, because of your generosity. And so that's a great way to make leaders work a joy is just by following them. Like when our, our guys, you know, when we were, were back when we were doing mass or we were doing this or we were, we were doing that, you guys are just like, yeah, we want to gather. We're all in. And you made their work a joy simply by following them. Lastly, you can make their work a joy um, by honoring them. Um, I think it's hard to understand honor without first understanding uh, dishonor. And if you want to know what dishonor looks like before we get to honor, um, we're about to enter into an election cycle. There'll be plenty of examples between now and November. So, so don't, don't worry about having examples of, of dishonor. But dis, here's what dishonor is. Dishonor focuses on, here's what I don't like about you, here's what I disagree with you about, and here's where I think you fail. And it focuses almost exclusively on that. All right, that's what dishonor, is, uh, dishonor does. Honor is the direct opposite of that, obviously, right? Honor focuses on, this is what I like about you, this is where you've been successful, this is, where we agree, this is what we agree about, and it articulates that out loud, right? So, honor is not lying, right? Lying, you shouldn't lie, right? As a matter of fact, usually when you're honoring someone, have you ever kind of uh, met with someone and you're like, eh, kind of laying it on kind of thick, right? And you're like, I know me, and I know those things aren't true about me, you know, but they're just, they're, they're buttering you up for usually a big ask of some kind. Like, hey, hey, before I let you go, after all those nice things, you know, I'm going to need this amount of money or whatever, right? So, um, so, so people can usually see right through lying. Honor is not lying. Honor is saying, I am choosing to see what I like about you. I'm choosing to see what we agree on, and I'm choosing to see the positive, whatever is true and lovely and noble. I'm, I'm choosing to focus on those things. And then I'm saying it out loud. And so you want to transform your marriage? Oh my goodness. Bring some honor into your marriage. You want to transform your family? Oh my goodness gracious. Bring honor into your family. You want to transform your work environment? Bring honor into the work environment. You want to transform your church? Bring honor into the church. And at first it feels kind of weird, especially if you're somebody that, for whatever reason, you become kind of focused on dishonoring language. It can feel kind of weird to all of a sudden focus on the positive, right? It's like, oh, this feels kind of uncomfortable. And it's like, no, you're just being nice, right? Um, and and it's, a really, it's, a really good, it's a really good thing to do, to articulate what you see in people. And the Bible says uh, this is another great way to honor your local leaders, um, is to speak life into them. What you see, what you love, what you appreciate. That is not to say that you never disagree, right? I think sometimes guys like me can get up and say, you know, just kind of fall in line, never disagree. That's not true. Even in disagreement, there is a way to do that in an honoring way. I remember years and years ago, um, there was a guy here that I just absolutely loved and was so encouraging and kind to me all, all the time. And on one Tuesday morning, uh, after I had preached, he calls and the uh, secretary kind of puts the call through and he's like, you know I've never done, I can tell he's nervous, he's like, you know I've never done this before, right? I was like, done what? And he's like, I had massive problems with your sermon on Sunday. I was like, well, I usually do too, but what's yours? You go first, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> you tell me yours and I'll tell you mine, right? No. He's like, I had massive problems. And he started to lay it out, what his problems were. And I said, listen, here, here's what, what I want to do. Let me go back and listen to the sermon, which I despise doing. Um, I, I despise listening to my own sermons. There's an old kind of preacher metaphor at like 11 o'clock. You're like, I think that went pretty well. 11 o'clock a.m. after the sermon spree. I think that went pretty well. After 1 o'clock, you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't said that or the other thing, or I probably shouldn't have made that joke about Trump or Hillary or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and then at, at 3 o'clock, it's like, oh, man, I really, really screwed up. And at 5 o'clock, it's like, I'm going to be fired, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the preacher Sunday afternoon. So I said, I'm going to go back and listen to this sermon. And I listened to the sermon, and I called him back on Wednesday. I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. And some of you that have been here for a real long time, I don't remember how long ago it was, I actually got up the next Sunday and said, I want to fix what I said. Um, and, and, and it's because he did it in such an honoring way. So this isn't just agree with everything that your elders say or do or everything they do say and think is awesome, right? It's not that. Uh, you, you're, you can and should disagree, but there's a way to do it in an honoring way. So understanding what an elder is called to do will help you in the way that you treat them, it will also help you if you look at your sheet and the way you select them, right? So understanding what an elder is called to do helps us understand when you read that list of qualifications for an elder, it helps you to understand that better. Let me give you some examples. So if you believe, like I was sharing, that an elder or a leader, that they're called to be a good leader, how can you tell if someone's going to be a good leader? It's hard to predict, right? How do you know if someone's going to be a good leader? Well, the scripture tells us. It says, take a look at their family. 1 Timothy 3.5. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So he says, not that you have to have a perfect family, but hopefully people can see that you're leaning into your family, you're guiding them, you're directing them, you're helping them, you're loving them, you're serving them. This is like the first little church that God gave you. It's called family right? It's the first kind of sheep that you're called the shepherd, right? Um, and those little rascals are tough to shepherd, right? But it's the first time that you are given the role of shepherding. And so it says, man, take a look at that. Um, are they shepherding their family well? Have they led their family to know Jesus better, to worship him more? To, to, has he fed his family uh, spiritually and taken care of them? Um, and, and that's a good way to tell. Or if you believe an elder is called to care for people, how on earth can you tell that ahead of time? That someone's going to care about people? How, how, how can you possibly know that? Well, there's some great things to consider in this text, right? Is the person you're thinking about hospitable, right? So hospitality is by nature caring about people. So can you observe a hospitable nature? Are they quick-tempered or quarrelsome? Right? A lot of times a person that is quarrelsome will care more about being right than they will about people. So are they quick-tempered or quarrelsome? And then the last one is like, do they love money? Right? Which is a huge red flag. Do they love money? Because a lot of times a person that loves money will love money more than they love people. And so there are some ways that you can tell in this list that you're going to look at later today to, to tell if someone will be pastoral. And if you believe an elder is called, to someone who, is called to be someone who sets an example, how do you tell that ahead of time? The scripture tells us, it says, look at their reputation with outsiders. Right? Have they pursued dishonest gain? Have they been honest in their business dealings? That will tell you if they have set 
an example. Is this person a person that loves to be upright and holy in your dealings with them? Man, they're blameless. They, they, they handle themselves really well uh, even outside the walls of the church. And you can look at these areas. So um, we provide this sheet to you every year. We want to ask you to read these scriptures that are listed here. Um, and pray about them. And then the list of kind of attributes that we're talking about are all kind of listed here. And I want you to kind of think and pray about over the next few days and weeks uh, do you know anybody that sounds like this? Um, do you know anybody that sounds like this? And so, just so you know, what will happen is if a person, uh, if three people identify them, is kind of our process, that, man, I know somebody that sounds a lot like this. If three people are identified, then they enter into a, a leadership process here um, where uh, they are interviewed and talked to. Um, well, the very first question is, do you want to move forward uh, with this? Because desiring to do this is a qualification for eldership. And so um, that three people want them to do it doesn't matter if they don't want to do it, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, and, and so we'll ask them if they want to move forward and then there'll be an, uh, a, a, a form they fill out and an interview and eventually they will be presented to all of you uh, this coming October. Um, and what will happen there is we ask you to affirm it uh, unless you know something personally. And so in our process, um, you know, if, let's say we have 100 people on Sunday and 99 people are like, man, this person's incredible. They're awesome. They've been very fair with me in every dealing we've ever had. And one person's like, well, they robbed, from, they robbed my house. <laughs> well, that person in a lot of churches would get in with 99% approval. And we'd bring them in and be like, look at 99% approval. This is incredible. And one person's sitting out there going, they robbed my house. <laughs> And now they're an out. Yeah, yeah. And so in our, in our process, that one person can bring that claim. It will be investigated, looked at, and, and determined if, if, if it's true. Um, and one, one person could, um, could, could do that. And so I like our process. I believe in our process. Um, and it's an important one, which is why we talk about it every year. I know maybe you came in and you're like, I thought we had been two years without this. I thought we were done with it. No, we're not done. All right? um, it's important that we talk about it because our good shepherd sets an example for us. And one of the last things he said to us is, I want you to select leaders from within you that can be really, really good under shepherds that are like me. Not perfect like Jesus, he's the perfect one, but loving like me, sacrificial like me, laying down their life for the sheep like me. And so we wanna, we wanna do that and we wanna do it well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Um, and we thank you for what a good shepherd he is um, and how he sets the example and he sets the bar. And as we think about leadership and uh, eldership, um, uh, we, we just want to uh, pray through these scriptures. And we believe your Holy Spirit's involved in this. And if you would lay someone on our heart that, man, I know someone that sounds like this. They're not perfect because nobody is, but I know someone that so they have a heart for people. They have a desire to set an example. They're, they're, they'd be a great overseer. Would you just lay their name on our heart? And, and over the next few minutes, as we're kind of thinking over that, over the next few weeks, um, right now we want to transition to just thinking about and celebrating you as we receive communion. And you told, uh, you told us what makes you the good shepherd. You've laid down your life for your sheep. And if there is any person in this room right now that's wondering, 
God, do you love me? Have I gone too far? Have I done too much? Have I somehow crossed the line? Do you love me? I pray that this moment in our service right now would remind them that you do. You love them so much so that you sent your one and only son to die for their sins so that they could be forgiven and they could also be set free from whatever is holding them. That we would not be, as the song said earlier, a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. We thank you so much for our good shepherd. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion right now. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to just focus on our good shepherd, to thank him for what he's done. And you can hold those two cups that are stacked on top of each other and just spend some time thanking Jesus for his sacrifice. And then I'll come back up uh, and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll receive communion all together as a church family. Um, and, and remember his death, burial, and resurrection. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you again for being our good shepherd. May we follow you completely and wholly, faithfully, because we know that you are leading us to life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey, really uh, excited uh, before we close about next Sunday. Um, it's going to be uh, a great opportunity, great lunch, pulled pork, um, um, side dishes, dessert, all that stuff. Everything's going to be provided. Uh, we just want you to, to stay after and have some lunch. And um, one of the things we want to say is that we're not going to take a whole bunch of your time. It's not going to go on and on and on. But we want you to just to be able to hear about some opportunities in our church. First, again, be like Jesus and to serve. And so I'm excited about next Sunday. Um, and the lunch that will follow, and we hope you can stay. So let's go ahead and stand up and sing one last song.